0: Further ado. Um, we had so we're, we're good. Okay. We had some technical challenges this morning, but I think we've worked them out. Um, Josh Hoffert, our, um, our speaker, who is going to be here this weekend for Rising Tide Conference. That's that was him. Um, and that is him. And uh, Josh has prepared a 30-minute uh, message for us this morning and so we're gonna we're gonna hear josh in a moment and uh and then i'm gonna come up and and uh the lord's put some things on my heart as well to to share with you out of uh kind of what he's what he said so so we're gonna move into that momentarily um the uh this is not just about. And, and uh, just to set up Josh's message, how many how many of you uh, had a chance already to see the video where I interviewed Josh on on Facebook this week and introducing him? And okay, so lots of you didn't. All right. So so really quickly, um, Josh. Um, he was the canadian director for a number of years for streams ministries which was uh which is a ministry out of the states that was started by someone named john paul jackson uh a very a very respected name in the kind of charismatic pentecostal sphere uh in the u.s and uh and a man that we've we've i mean John Paul Jackson has passed away, but we Pam and I have been taking a course of his over the last number of months by video, um, not from the grave, but by video. Um, uh, we've been taking a course of his, and uh, we have been so blessed by his heart, a heart of humility and a heart for integrity and um, you know, just just to steward the the presence of God, steward the gifts of God in a very uh, God honoring way, and we've just just been super blessed by Him, and uh, and so Josh, I would say, has a very similar heart to uh, John Paul Jackson, and and uh, and so he was the Canadian director for that ministry for a number of years in 2017. Um, the the ministry the canadian office shut down because john paul jackson had passed away and uh and josh and his wife moved to pei pei from british columbia and uh, started their own ministry called wind ministries and uh where he focuses on training and equipping people to 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 sense and follow the moving of the wind of the Spirit, Amen. right? So, so that's the heart of Josh, and I just wanted to introduce him for a moment and, and share uh, kind of who he is and, and his heart. And I, I know you'll, you'll get his heart as you, as you hear him now and, and at the conference. But uh, the message today is not so much a whip you up into a Holy Ghost frenzy, That's not the point. Um, It is a, how do we position ourselves, not looking at anyone else, not pointing fingers at anyone else, but how do I position myself to be the kind of person that the Holy Spirit can use? That's a fantastic question. And I believe Josh is going to help us with that. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through this message and, uh, and, and afterwards. And that, God, you would, you would capture our attention and capture our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Hello, Evangel Bathurst. Uh, my name is Joshua Hofford with Wind Ministries. So happy to be with you. Uh, virtually today, of course, as opposed to be with you. I would have been happier to be with you. Uh, but circumstances, of course, have happened in a way that that, uh, that can happen. And uh, so my thoughts and my prayers are with you guys, uh, and especially the families impacted by COVID-19, uh, praying for quick healing and uh, that the Lord would be with them. And uh, But I'm also anticipating our rescheduling of the Rising Tide Conference and looking forward to being with you shortly yeah, it's coming together. And, and um, I'm excited for all the stuff that Pastor Andrew's told me uh, that that is happening in your midst and where the team is going and what the Lord is doing and what he's speaking to them about. Um, so I'm, I'm just happy to be part of that journey and uh, to be moving alongside that with you guys. Um, you know, just a, a couple things I'd like to speak with you about this morning. Um, and in John 16... Uh, Jesus, you know, what what better example we have in Scripture, of course, than understanding the nature of the spiritual life than Jesus. And John 16, Jesus says in regards to, or John, sorry, John 17, Jesus says in regards to his disciples, he's praying to the Father, and he says, your name I've declared to them. And this is a fascinating statement about the nature of Jesus, um, because Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, what he reveals about God is that God is our Father. This this incredible prayer, of course, the Lord's Prayer he prays, where he starts it off, Our Father. And he refers to God consistently. It's got him in trouble multiple times. He refers to God consistently throughout the Gospels as Father. This is the most used name that Jesus refers to God by as Father and that's over against the old testament the old testament uses the name father for god but only kind of in a in a generalized sense that he's the father of all because he created all and and jesus uses it in a very personal and direct sense and then also applies the name father to the disciples our father not just my father but our father and and so one of the things that we see jesus doing throughout his ministry is bringing the disciples into an awareness of who the Father is over and beyond anything they ever saw in the Old Testament. See, in John 1, John elaborates on the role of Jesus, and he says that Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. The Word is in the bosom of the Father, and he has declared the Father to us. The entire mission of Jesus was to make the Father known and and you know sometimes we read things and, and we think about things, and sometimes we think that the nature of Jesus was to do great miracles or to demonstrate the power of God, and all those things of course happen, but the the thrust of the ministry of Jesus was to make the heart of God known and to make it known that God is a Father and he 's our Father, and that 's fascinating the the nearness the dearness what that what that means to us um when uh, when my daughter was first born i have an 8 year old daughter uh, when she was first born and uh, naturally my you know we'd taken her home from the hospital my wife was exhausted and i just wanted to uh, give her time to recover and so every morning i would take our uh, our daughter with me to um, my prayer chair and i would sit there and i would pray and i'd hold her and as any new parent knows uh, you You have this new thing in your hands. And I would just get lost in wonder watching her, just looking at her. And the whole day, it seems like, would pass. And nothing had even happened, but I'd just been so captivated by this thing I'd created. Um, so beautiful. I was so in love with her. and And she'd never done anything to earn it. You see, the only thing, of course, my daughter could do at that point was cry and, and um, soil a, a diaper. Um, and, and so I, But I would just sit there just absolutely in love with her. She's mine. I love her without ever having done a single thing to earn that. She couldn't even smile at that or even talk to me or even give me a compliment or anything. Um, she, couldn't, she couldn't accomplish anything. She couldn't roll over. All she could do was be there with me. And as I sat in those moments of repose with my daughter, praying and seeking the Father and enjoying these moments with this new baby, I started to hear the Lord whisper to me in my times of prayer over and over and over again. And he'd say this, As you are with her, so I am with you. As you are with her, so I am with you. As you are with her, so I am with you. And I started to understand what it was like, what the Father's disposition is like towards us. When, when he comes to his son, of course, at the baptism, you're my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. These beautiful statements he makes and that, and that he makes internal for us as well. When, when Jesus talked about, now think about this, Jesus is the, the exact representation of God is what Hebrews 1 tells us. He is the perfect imprint of God. He's declared God, and John one tells us. Um, in Matthew eleven, this incredible passage where he says uh, to people that, um, "All you weary, come to me, and and I will find, and you'll find rest here." And he says this: "Come and learn of me. Come and take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for my heart is easy, or my heart is." Um, uh, my heart is, for. I'm, that's right, I'm, for I am gentle and lowly in hearts, Matthew 11, uh, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my heart is gentle and lowly, and you'll find rest for your souls. See, Jesus, you know, sometimes it's easy to see that about the man Jesus. We know Jesus was fully man, but what we sometimes fail to take into consideration is what Jesus is telling us is something fascinating about the heart of God, and so we'd, we grow up in religious systems in in families and environments where we learn things about God that just simply aren't true, and so many of us wait around for God to punish us for thinking a wrong thought or doing a wrong thing and i'm not I'm not saying there's no call to accountability and to righteousness and holiness. I'm not saying that of course there is. But this is a statement directly from Jesus about the heart of God. The heart of God is meek and lowly. The heart of God is tender and gentle. This is the heart of a father. And what Jesus says to his disciples when he says, learn from me, is not how to do great things. It's not how to accomplish great miracles. It's not how to live a blessed life. It's not how to walk in supernatural wonders and wisdom. It's not how to pray for the sick. It's none of that. What he says when he says learn from me is my heart is meek and lowly so what we're learning of when we come to him is what the heart of god is like see all of life flows all of ministry all of our life all of our spiritual lives flow from knowing his heart. Absent knowing his heart, what else is there for us to know? See, as it stands, our hearts, our inner worlds are totally mysterious and foreign to us. The, the Bible uses this term in Acts 1, uh, or, or I mean, throughout the book of Acts, it uses the, the Greek term cardionosis. And the Greek term cardionosis literally means knower of the heart. And it constantly applies that to Jesus, to God, that he's the knower of the heart. And Scripture is is full of examples of um, multiple examples. For um, Psalm forty four twenty one, for one, uh, shall not God search this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. Jeremiah seventeen nine. You know anybody that grew up in a good evangelical church knows this one. the The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can wicked? Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Proverbs 20:27 20, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inner depths of the heart Romans 8:27 he that searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God that's talking about the spirit Acts 15:8 and God who knows the hearts there it is again cardionosis he bore them witness giving them the holy spirit even as he did unto us Psalm 33:15 he fashions their hearts alike he considers all their works see the, the God who came to us and said, learn about my heart, is the only one who knows your heart. He's the only one who knows your heart. He is the knower of your heart. Our hearts, our inner world, our inner life is so foreign and mysterious to us. We're, today we're inundated by noise. We're surrounded by noise. And we're so we're so disconnected from who we are. We're for sure disconnected from who God is. And we're definitely disconnected from who we are. And God longs to unveil to us his heart and who he is, the tenderness of who he is, that we would know who he is, that we'd be drawn into who he is, so that we would also know ourselves, so we'd come to grips with what's on the inside. Because if I don't come to grips on with what's on my insides, what's in my heart, there's no way I'm coming to grips with what's in his heart, because I'll constantly struggle with what's within my heart and never come to grips with what's in his heart. And so I have to come to grips with what's in my my own heart and you know that looking back at that verse in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things uh, who can know it and and many of us are stuck at that verse and and we've been given a way of thinking about ourselves and thinking about God that says I'm stuck with a wicked and deceitful heart and there's no way that I can possibly move into a new expression of myself, and and yes, we obviously have these these damaging, difficult things that we that we deal with, but there's also an incredible promise about the heart found in Ezekiel uh, 36, uh, verses 26 and 27, and and this is then of course quoted a couple times in the Book of Hebrews, brought into the this promise of what's going to be coming, this new covenant revelation of the heart of the Father, and Ezekiel 36 says this by way of prophecy about what's coming. He says, and this is styled as uh, the Lord speaking, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, or I will take a stony heart, the stony heart out of your flesh. Sorry about that. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a new heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So we have something here. We've got Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful and wicked, but we have the promise of God that says, at some point in the future, you know, this is Ezekiel, Old Testament. At some point in the future, I'm going to transplant that heart of yours, that wicked and deceitful heart. I'm going to transplant that and I'm going to give you a new heart. See, here's the thing, that new heart you've been given, you still don't know it because he's fashioned it. He's created it. He alone knows it. He knows what's hidden within there. He knows what he's placed within there. And he longs to invite you into a journey where you begin to know his heart. And in knowing his heart, you know your heart. Psalm forty, uh, verses seven and eight says seven and eight says this, uh, and this is David speaking. It says, "Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll. Uh, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It's written of me. This is this is uh, uh, David. Of, like I said, David. I, in the scroll of the book, it's written about me. I delight to do Your will, O oh my God, and Your law is written or is within my heart." So listen, David says literally that you have a book where you have written about me and this is the phrase that you wrote about me. I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is within my heart. See, David came into an awareness of the heart of God. I mean, God invites him into this journey in Psalm 27 where he says, um, uh, seek, my, seek, uh, seek my face, and David responds, my heart longs to know you. And so God has invited him in the, into this journey, and David begins in coming to grips with who God is in the heart of God. David begins to understand who he is because, because God gives clarity and insight into who David is in the journey of coming to know him. Um, there's an early church father named Basil the Great, he was one of the great Trinitarian theologians in church history, and he wrote about the three dispositions that we come to serve, uh, that we come to serve God or come to know God. This said, the first disposition that uh, we have to deal with. Um, and he saw these as a, as a kind of progression, but many of us get stuck in this journey uh, along the way. And we'll be talking more about moving into depths of intimacy with him and union with him at the Rising Tide Conference. So we'll deal more with this stuff then. But Basil, the great... Um, elaborated on three different dispositions that we come into an awareness of who God is. And he said the first disposition is that of a slave. Um, a slave comes into an awareness of God and, and generally operates in obedience out of fear of punishment. Um, and so the slave is afraid of the master's reprisal, and so he's constantly navigating and managing his life based on fear. And what's going to happen to me? And where am I going to go? And and how is this going to play out? And and things of that nature. And and so then he said the the second disposition. And this is as this person begins to mature a little bit. Maybe they move past this relating to the um, uh, relating from the the disposition of a slave to relating in the disposition of a hireling, and starts to ask the question: Well, what am I getting out of this? So as a hireling, you know, think of yourself as an employee. There's a transaction involved. Is I work for you, but only because you pay me something, and so there's always some benefit to myself. What I'm, I'm invested, but only because I'm getting something out of it. And so that's that's better than the slave, because the slave doesn't actually know the disposition of the master, doesn't even doesn't have intimacy with the master. The hireling starts to have a working relationship with the one, the the employer, the one that's. Um, Employed them, but it's still based on this transaction of what am I getting out of this and how are you paying me? And so I've, I'm I'm giving you my allegiance, but only because I get something out of it. And and we we've, we've been sold the gospel um, in our present world that promises us um, fulfillment in our marriages and financial blessing and an increase in that sense and um, and uh, and so sometimes we get stuck in that mentality that I'm I'm invested in this not because of who the employer is. Because of what I get out of the proposition. And so Basil said the final disposition that we come to know God through is that of a son or a daughter. And a son or a daughter doesn't serve the father or come to the father or do things on behalf of the father, their father, um, you know, in a, in, in, a, in a good relationship, we'll say, uh, because of what they get out of it. They do it because of their love the love they carry for the Father. And so the motivating factor is not, well, the Father's going to give me all these things. The motivating factor is my love for the Father, my love for my Father drives me to do the things He's asked me to do. And so what what I'm moving towards is the mentality that says, I bring Him pleasure. And so that moves me not because I get something out of it, not because of fear of reprisal. And I'm not saying that those aren't practical or real um, aspects that there are benefits to following God, that there is fear of punishment, there is the wrath of God. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the disposition that drives us to do the things he's called us to do, that brings us into an awareness of who we are and who he is, is my love for him? You see, the issue has never been God's unwillingness to invite us in; it's been our unwillingness to allow Him to come. This is why the Bible deals with the issue of hardness of heart. Love may motivate me to get there, but the things that keep me from that place of love are uh, many and various. But but are easily summed up, I think, in the parable of the wedding feast. And um, I want to turn here and cover some of these things and then uh, leave you with a challenge. And in Luke 14, uh, the, the parable of the wedding feast plays out over verses 15 to 24. And in the parable of the wedding feast, the, the father is throwing a feast for his son. And um, he sends out his uh, servants to go invite the people into the wedding feast. And uh, the first person that's invited uh, comes back and the servant tells the master um, that this guy has said, I can't come. I've got a new plot of land. I can't, I can't make it. Sorry. I've got to deal with that. And, and then there's another person that's invited and the person says, well, I've just been married, so I can't make it in. I've, I've got a new wife that I have to, um, uh, you know, a new relationship here. And, and then one person says, I've got uh, oxen that I have to deal with. I've got new oxen I have to deal with. And so um, these three invitations that are given by the father over the son's wedding feast, uh, the first one says, because of my land, I can't come. The second one, because because of my relationships, I can't come. And the third one, because of the things I own, I can't come. And these give us a clear indication as to... What it is that hinders us from moving into this place of radical love and radical encounter with the love of God is that it, it's not so much God's inability or unwillingness to there's God's not unable to do anything it's not God's unwillingness to draw us in it's our inability or unwillingness to allow him in, and we allow things to get in the way you see the the issue of owning land is like um, the things that you own, the space that you occupy would, which I would see as your ideology is the way you think, um, that, you know, the things that you own in the sense of, uh, my ownership of land makes me a landowner. It's the way I see myself and the people that I belong to. And so the ideology I hold keeps me from, um, engaging and encountering with God and, you know, just as a side note to that, Job 33 says that God speaks in one way or another, yet man does not perceive it. See, it's not God's unwillingness to come to us. It's not God's, um, it's not, it is God's heart to speak with us. David in Psalm 139 said that the thoughts of God towards me are as numerous as the sands on the seashore. That god That's a lot of thoughts if you think about it. That means God has a disposition towards you that's favorable. And, um, the, the second one being that I've got a relationship. I've got um, this wife that I'm just married, so I have to deal with this. I'm preoccupied with the relationships around me, and we let that happen. We let the, the relationships around us so control us and define us that it's difficult for me to let someone in, especially let God in, but let other people in, especially someone that would challenge me and challenge my beliefs and challenge who I am and uh, thirdly is I have oxen, so my possessions, the things I own they have they have to to this person they've granted me a sense of identity and belonging that i'm I am a farmer, I am doing this um, and we let these so we let things drive um our we let the the possessions drive our actions, drive our engagement, drive what we're interested in, and we find so much identity and solace in the things that we own, you know, whether it even as simple as what computer I own, what brand I belong to, what car I drive, that entire marketing strategies are de- are designed around this. And, and so it's not so much God's unwillingness to draw me in, however, it's my hard-heartedness that keeps me from allowing him into that deep place. Um, and finally, in the wedding feast, the master just blows the whole thing open. He says, bring in the lame, Bring in the blind, bring in the maimed, bring in the crippled, essentially saying, bring in everybody that's realized I can't rely on myself. So this is language that we find in in the parable, or not the parable, in um, the Beatitudes with Jesus in Matthew 5, when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You notice he doesn't say poor in possessions. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize how much they lack, You know, being poor in spirit, Jesus, of course, deals with the ownership of possessions, but that's not what he's addressing in Matthew 5. He's addressing our disposition and mentality that says, I don't need anything else, and I don't need anything outside myself. I have to come to grips before I can even begin to engage in the supernatural, before I can even begin to engage in the spiritual, before I can even begin to engage a deepening relationship with God. I have to come to grips with the fact that I am the reason why I haven't engaged because I've put so many things in the way. So it's time to let that stuff fall by the wayside and centralize back around the importance of following God and knowing him and knowing his heart. Uh, A few years ago, as I was processing some very difficult season that my wife and I had just come out of, um, I was uh, happened to find myself watching a video that a friend of mine had shared on social media. And um, in the video, there was a, a couple that were ministering prophetically. And, um, you know, I don't know really know what attracted my attention to the video. It's not necessarily something I would have watched, you know, sit down. It was a two-hour video. I watched the whole thing. And as I was watching this video and this this couple just beautifully ministering the heart of the Father To many people that were in the room in this meeting that was the whole context of the recording Um, and so they'd, they'd point someone out and they'd and they'd release encouraging words over this person and share what the father was thinking and what the father intended to do with that person what the call of god was on their life and every time they'd point someone out and begin speaking over them i would just start weeping and weeping over that person at the at the declaration of their identity of their destiny of who they are what they're called to, what God intends for them, what the Father's thinking about when he thinks about them, you know, his thoughts being as numerous as the sands on the seashore towards us. And then they'd turn and they'd point someone else out, and I'd just be, i just this whole other wave of love and tenderness would wash over me for that person. I'd just be so overcome um, emotionally for this person. And then they point someone else out, and for two hours this is going on. You know, it's it's almost an it was like an exhausting video, Beauty, a, a beautiful exhaustion, right? It wasn't this, it wasn't a heavy exhaustion, but it was just. I mean, I was so racked with emotion over each one of these people. I just loved what was happening for each one of them. So stirred uh, in the spirit, and as I'm just sitting in this moment, the video ends, and I'm thinking, what happened? You know, it was such as it was this beautiful beautiful time spent with the Lord, weeping over his people, the profoundness of his love for each and every one of them uh, was just so present. And the Lord began speaking to me in that moment. And, and the one sentence he said was, you wept over my children. Now could you weep over yourself? Oh, and I realized it was so much easier to recognize the tenderness of God to someone else It's so much more difficult for me to recognize it in my own life. And in that period of time, what became so, uh, what was driven home to me was the statement you find in Isaiah, I believe it's in Isaiah 42, I don't have it in front of me, Where, where the father's speaking and he says, a bruised reed I will not bend and a smoking wick I will not snuff out. And there's times in my life where i felt like a bruised reed. There's times in my life where I've felt like a smoking wick. I don't know about you, but there's times where i felt like, man, that fire is down. That fire is low. And I realize the Father doesn't come to us in those moments and go, you pitiful servant, get out of here. You should have stewarded that better. The Father comes to us in those moments and say, let me help you up. Let me bring you near. One last story uh, that I want to end with. Is uh, just back in August. My wife and I were uh, camping. We took the family out to Cape Breton and went camping. And it was just a wonderful time away. And one evening, when the fire was the fire was dying down, the kids had been put to, put to bed. My wife had gone off to bed, and I was just enjoying some sweet time with the father as um, you know as the day wound down to a close and the fire was dying down, and, and I noticed as the fire, you know, it was a little bit cold out, and as the fire died down more and more, I was drawing closer and closer and closer to the fire, Um, and, uh, and you know, I had been feeling uh, when you're camping, there's, especially with young kids, I have three young children, there's not a whole lot of spare time, um, and it was a wonderful time camping, but you don't really get a lot of time alone or uh, time to just process or pray or Uh, anything like that. And so I had just been feeling kind of empty and dry. And it had been that kind of season too. Um, And as I drew closer to the fire, it dawned on me that this was like a picture of my life, that as the fire died down, my responsibility was to draw close. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, um, as the fire draws down, you draw close. And he said to me, you know, it's, it can be easy to put out a fire. You dump the water on the fire, but it's very difficult to put out an ember. And and I realized that even when I feel like I only have an ember left, that ember's enough to ignite a whole log. And if I if I change my point of view away from what I'm what, you know, what I'm lacking or or uh, you know, in terms of the possessions or if I'm thinking right or any of these kind of things, and my point of view is I love the Father and I want to draw close to him, then that smoking wick, that bruised reed has every potential in the world to draw close to the Father. And that's the place that our life must flow from. How close am I to him? And so that's the challenge I have for you guys, for Evangel Bathurst right now, is is the Lord's refining you. And, and he's refining many in this season, but he's refining you. He's removing dross and he's bringing forth purity. He's bringing forth gold. It's a process. And, and the question is, where in my life am I practicing nearness to him? Where in my life am I turning my heart closer and closer to him? Because his invitation is there. It's never gone away. It's never stopped. It's never abated. God has drawn me close. My responsibility is to respond. My responsibility is not to do all the work, not to put in a ton of effort. My responsibility, I mean, I'm not saying there's not effort, but I'm saying my responsibility is simply to turn my heart. That I can do. I may not be able to um, walk into a hospital and heal everybody there, but I can turn my heart to God. God. I may not be able to prophesy to kings and and uh, prophesy to presidents and prime ministers. I might not be able to affect the outcome of you know the Canadian national election outside of an individual vote, but I can turn my heart to the Father. Within my grasp is the ability to turn to Him, and everything flows from there. And it's so central is knowing the heart of God, knowing the heart of the Father, because that's The picture and image of Jesus. How do I come to know him? And in what ways am I practicing in my daily life the call to Jesus to learn of his heart? My challenge to you is to learn of his heart in this season. And I'm looking forward to being with you guys shortly as we reschedule the Rising Tide Conference. So I bless you this Sunday that you'd encounter the heart of the Father and that you'd know him. And that you'd find yourself drawn into a love encounter with who he is. So that you're radically transformed to look like him. And in looking like him, you truly look like him. Amen.
0: So, a couple things. Yeah, wow. There's a, there's a, a profoundness to that. That, that we need to, to let sit in our hearts. Um, we're going We're going to put that video up on our website uh, w- like we do with all of our messages and I encourage you to listen to it again. Um, a couple thoughts coming out of coming out of what he said that i want to want to just lean into the the challenge this morning uh, He said and i believe I believe he said this. Um, he doesn't know a lot about our church. I mean, Pam and I have shared a little bit in, in conversations with him. Uh, we've had some Zoom, a couple of Zoom meetings and stuff. We've shared a little bit of our hearts, a little bit of where we see God taking us. But, but I believe when he says, God is refining you, he's saying that prophetically. He's saying that to our church prophetically. God is refining you. He is preparing us as a church to be ready and able to carry something that we can't yet carry. That's what refining is about. That as individuals and as a corporate body, God will take us through seasons of refining because he he has waiting and ready something he wants to place upon us, something he wants to pour out, something he wants to rest upon us that we would carry that we're not yet ready to carry. And so we need refining, right? And so I I believe we need to hear what he's saying. I believe we, as leadership, we need to hear that corporately. But I want to challenge you today. You need to hear this. Because the church isn't some organization that, you know, Canada, the Canadian government says we're a registered charity, blah, blah, blah. That's got nothing to do with who we are as the church. The church is us. And, and if our charitable status was taken away tomorrow, and if we ceased to be able to exist as a charitable entity, that would not change one iota the fact that we are the church of Jesus in this city. And, and so it, it's not about, oh, the church needs to get its act together. No, we are the church. So God, how do you need to refine me so that we together can carry what you want us to carry, right? Here's, here's one thing I heard in this for us today. You don't need to protect yourself from the Father. Let me say that again. You don't need to protect yourself from the Father. There are the the refining work that He wants to do in you is only for your good. And that hard heart that he talked about, that we can often, all of us can often slip back into that hardened heart. It's because we feel like god's gonna take something from me god's gonna he's gonna he's gonna you don't need to protect yourself from the father because he only has good in store for you josh asked us the question where in your life are you drawing near to the father Where in your life are you drawing near to the Father? And that may have to do with things, right? What are the three, the the ideologies, relationships and possessions, right? He talked about those three areas in our lives. It may have to do with those things becoming more important to us than, than the Father. Or it may just be, Neglect. We're just, we've just made ourselves so busy that we, don't, we haven't made time for him. But folks, I love what he said, that there's a lot of things I can't do. I can't necessarily go out and change the world, but I can. What is within my power, what is within my grasp, is to turn my heart towards the Father. And everything flows from that. Right? Um, Last thing I want to say, and the Lord spoke this to my heart during prayer meeting on Thursday night, and I shared this with those who were here. I felt the Lord clearly say, and I felt like it wasn't just for me. Do not... Do not be afraid to be undone. Do not be afraid to be undone. Again, there's, there's a depth to that that we need to we need to hold on to that and listen to it, and pray into it. Do not be afraid to be undone. Think of Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6. He has this vision of the, of the Lord God in the, in the temple. In the holy of holies of the temple. Isaiah has this vision. And when he sees God in all of his glory. He says, woe is me for I am undone. I am undone. All of the things that I thought I knew. I realize I know nothing. All of the ways I thought I could fix my life, I realize none of them are going to work. All of, the, all of the, the plans and the schemes and the agendas that I had for my life, they're useless without God. Woe is me for I am undone. But when God undoes us, it's because he wants to do something inside of us so that he can do us back up and send us out. Because that's how Isaiah 6 ends. Is that God touches a coal. uh, uh, One of the the angelic beings, the seraphim, grab a coal from the altar, touch his lips and says, you're clean. Then God says, who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, send me. Folks, we can't get to the send me until we go through the undone. Don't be afraid to be undone. Let's stand. Just before we, I pray, we're going to respond with this song. Um, I want to encourage you. We have, we have the first of a monthly event tonight that uh, called Deeper. The idea being that we want to dive in deeper with Jesus, with, with his presence. It's going to be a, a, you know, room made for us to worship, to pray, to just uh, see what God wants to do among us. It's not a, not a serious agenda. I've got nothing I've planned to preach. The Lord might speak something to us. But, but we just want to make room for Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Um, but I I don't want want to encourage you if you're gonna to come tonight and I, I would love to have you here if you're gonna to come tonight don't we don't wanna come and wait for 45 minutes to get cranked up so that we're finally ready to hear from the Lord. Let's come with something. Let's come ready, let's come hungry, let's come desiring to see what God wants to do, right? Uh, deeper suggests we're already deep. We just need to go deeper, <laughs> right? So let's not let's not come just uh, you know not expecting or just oh there's something on Sunday night. I guess I gotta go. Don't come like that. Come come ready and hungry. Amen. God, thank you for what you've spoken to our hearts today. Thank you for this challenge. Thank you that we don't need to fear or protect ourselves from the Father. Thank you that your intentions toward us are good. Thank you that we don't need to fear being undone because, God, you want to do a work of of transforming and healing and a work within us. Thank you for your refining, God, that you want to do something in us, not just so we have a nice experience with you, but God, you want to be able to entrust a greater level of blessing and anointing upon our lives, and you want to prepare us to be able to handle it. So God, we pray that you would, you would, uh, Lord, do what you want to do in our lives as we turn our hearts, turn our eyes, turn our lives towards you to receive you, to, to connect with you, to, to, to come to know your heart so that our heart can be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.